going to be looking uh, together at what I think is going to be a very, very interesting subject. And you may be thinking, well, Christian atheist, that doesn't even make sense. How in the world, uh, you know, where, where did that even come up from? How can you even use in the same phrase the words Christian and atheist? And I'll take a moment uh, to mention this to you. Just a few weeks ago, not long ago at all, I picked up... Um, a book, and you know I like to read, and I'd not yet read this book by Craig Rochelle called uh, The Christian Atheist, and I'm telling you, it's one of the best books that I've read in a long, long time. So it just made me uh, think, well, this would be something uh, that would be good for us to talk a little bit about as a church. And so we're doing that. But again, we're only devoting three weeks to it, you know, the re remaining months in the month of August. So I'm like, you know what? This is a book that just challenged me, encouraged me, inspired me. And why not make it available to everybody in our church family? We have a limit limited number of copies out there uh, today. If we run out, we'll get some more. But I would encourage every one of you uh, to pick up a copy of this book and read it. I think personally, it will challenge you and it will go in a lot more depth and, and expanse than what we're able to do in just three weeks uh, in this series together. But uh, I, I wanted to mention that to you. And let's just go ahead and jump right in for time's sake. And a lot of you would be somewhat familiar with these facts. Uh, facts are, as Americans are, are polled, as evaluations have done, have been done, the most recent indicators would be that about three out of four Americans, three out of every four Americans believe in God. If you walk up to 75, and that would be pretty much uh, on course throughout the nation, if you ask somebody, do you believe in God, uh, about three out of every four would say yes. I believe in God. Now, if you take it beyond that and you were to have a follow-up question to that, sort of poll question number uh, two, well, do you believe, do you believe that Jesus Christ is actually the Son of God? Then seven out of 10, 70% of people would say, yes, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I want to go ahead and state the obvious right now, and I want to do it in the form of a question. And uh, the question would be this. So if there are somewhere, and it's the obvious, but I want to state it nevertheless, if there are 70 to 75% of Americans, and, and I don't know how this would shake out around the world, we're just talking about where we live in this nation, North America, if, if you were to take 70 to 75% of people who would say that they believe in God and they actually would take it beyond that and they would say, it's more than that, we actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now consider that for a moment. And then ask yourself this question, against the obvious, does that mean, does that mean then that that percentage of people, 70 to 75% are deeply devoted to God and living out the teachings of Jesus? Now, do you think, and again, we're not throwing stones here. We're not judging. That is not the part of this series. You know, that's stylistically, that's not even who I, who I am. But I mean, do you think that 70 to 75% of our nation, the people in our nation are deeply devoted to God, following the teachings of Jesus, living them out in obedience? Are they doing that personally? And again, we're not throwing stones here, but uh, I just have to tell you, my experience has been that's, that's not even close to being accurate. I think the polling 
is accurate to think that 70 to 75% of people are deeply devoted to Jesus, following Jesus' teachings. And so it's really out of that mindset that this whole idea uh, of Christian atheists is pushed front and center. And uh, by definition, for a Christian atheist, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this to you right up front, and then we'll come back to it probably in the next week or two. But a Christian atheist is not, not my definition, but a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as though God does not exist. Somebody, if you asked him, three out of every four, do you believe in God? Uh, yes, absolutely. I believe in God. Do you actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do but who live, they believe it, they believe it, but they do not live their life. And again, we're not judging, we're just stating facts. Do not live their life as though God does exist. And sort of, it's sort of that is this idea of Christian atheists sort of emanating out of that. And there's a verse in the Bible that will help to launch us not into just today, but into this series. And I want you to look at this verse up on the screen. They claim to know God, they claim to know God, but by their what? But by their actions, they deny him. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny that they really do. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take just a little bit of time and I want to talk to you uh, about something that I think is really, really important in this uh, first uh, portion of this series. And it's when we believe in God, but we do not necessarily live our lives as though God exists. Now, I, I don't know where every person is spiritually. There's no way I could sort that out. There's no way that I could figure that out, just as you can uh, figure out the depth and breadth of my spiritual life by us being, you know, for a, a good portion of you, we're casually acquainted. And uh, you wouldn't, you'd have a hard time uh, discovering that in my life. I'd have a hard time discovering that in your life. But again, a Christian atheist would be somebody that claims to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. So uh, you're going to have to, in this series, sort of determine where you at, where are you going. I don't think any of us uh, stay neutral in any measure of our life, including our spiritual life. And so in this first message of this series, I want to take this idea of really knowing God, and I want to break it up into three categories, and I'll go ahead and give you the first one right now, and it is this first category, we're talking about knowing God, knowing God. The first category would be this, that many people believe in God, but do not really know God. Many people who believe, if you ask them, again, they're part of the 70 to 75%, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God, but do you really know God? Do you really know God personally? If they were being accurate, uh, there'd be a lot of that percentage that would say, I, I, I believe in him, but I don't really live for him. I'm not really following his teachings. Now, follow me on this for just a moment. It's, it's like this. It's like when somebody would say, I believe in the existence of God, but I do not know God in a personal intimate way. I believe in the existence of God. I really do, but I do not know him personally and intimately. And I'll just give you a little example of this. Some of you have heard me talk about it. You know what college football team I pull for because I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And so, and you're saying, well, Georgia Tech. No, it's not Georgia Tech. It's outside of the metro area. And uh, greatest uh, well-known uh, Georgia Bulldog player of all time, 
uh, is Herschel Walker. And Herschel Walker played uh, back in the 1980s before uh, many of you were even born. And so Herschel Walker, and a lot of you have heard me mention that I actually ran into Herschel Walker in the Miami airport. Do I know Herschel Walker? Yes, I do. I know Herschel Walker. I saw him. I saw him in flesh and blood in the Miami airport. I even waved at him and I said, hey, Herschel. I, I said this literally. It's sort of stupid thinking of it now. I, I said, hey, Herschel. I said, all Georgia Bulldog fans love Herschel. And, uh, and he smiled and he was nice and kind. So do I believe in the existence of Herschel Walker? I absolutely do. Do I know him? I really don't. Does he know me? He really doesn't. He's heard of me, but he doesn't really know me. Not really. He hasn't heard of me. <laughs> but scores of people live their life in this way. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and here's why I'm a Christian. All right? Just see the fallacy of this. I'm a Christian, and here's the reason I'm a Christian, because I was raised in church. I'm a Christian in the real sense of the word because my parents were and are Christians, and they raised me to be a Christian. Therefore, uh, unquestionably, I am a Christian. Or it's like this. I I'm a Christian because I attend. At, at, at attend church on occasion. Therefore, because I come to church, you know, somewhat, um, you know, consistently, therefore, that would mean that I'm a Christian. Uh, another form of thinking in this regard. Um, I am a Christian, and I know I'm a Christian because I'm not Buddhist, and I don't follow the teachings of Islam, or I'm not a Hindu. Therefore, by default, that must put me in the place of being a Christian, or I throw out a prayer prayer every now and then, especially when I get in trouble, especially when I have a big need, or I read a verse, or I've got something posted somewhere in my car, on the refrigerator, in the house, on my desk that has a verse on it that is a Christian verse straight out of the Bible. So based on things and other things that could be mentioned, uh, I therefore must be a Christian. Does that mean that we're a Christian? And again, all of us would say, no, that is not an automatic in any stretch of the imagination. A Christian atheist, if we go back to that thought, is somebody that believes in God, but do not actually live their lives as though God exists. Listen to what, this is not on the screen, but listen to what James chapter 2 and verse 19 says. It says this, James is writing, and he says, you believe in God? Good. You believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe that. Wow. So it's more, wouldn't you agree, that being a Christian is more than just believing in God. I mean, if we were to take that all the way out, I'm a Christian because I believe in God, well, then that would mean that demons are Christians because they believe in the existence of God. And we know that that is not true. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you two verses now from 1 John that are very forthright, very forthright. And the book was challenging to me. Uh, working on this talk was challenging to me because God always works me over before he allows me to, to deliver a talk. But uh, look, at, look at this verse right here, two verses actually. We can be sure that we know God if we obey his commands, we'll come back to that. How do we know that we know God? We know that we know God really personally if we obey his commands. Anyone who says, I know God, somebody says, I know God, but does not obey God's commands is 
a liar. Ouch. How many of you know that stings? Is a liar, and the truth is actually not in that person. Now, nobody wants to be called a liar. Nobody. I mean, uh, do you think, wow, you know, from time to time somebody calls me a liar, and it's, you know, I like it. It feels good. Nobody wants to be called a liar, but uh, the Apostle John right here is saying, you know, um, knowing God, according to John, is about so much more than just having a head knowledge about God's existence. Knowing God, this is the essence of what John is saying. Knowing God, knowing God in a personal relationship is actually validated by nothing less than obedience to God's commands. Or if we're to take the New Testament, obviously, into consideration of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, John Norberg has written this. It's a great statement. He says, it is easier to be smart than good. How many of you know that? It's easier to be smart than good. And then he elaborates. He said, you don't need to know more from the Bible. And he's not saying you shouldn't read the Bible or grow in your knowledge of the Bible. He's just simply making a statement. You don't need to know more from the Bible. You just need to do what you already know. That's a great statement. It's not that you don't know enough about the Bible. That's generally not our problem. That's not my problem. My problem is I've studied the Bible. I went to school to study the Bible. I spent four years plus studying the Bible. I studied the Bible virtually every week of my life. It's not that I need to know more of the Bible. There's a lot that I need to know, but I know a lot about the Bible, and that is not my challenge. My challenge is not knowing more about the Bible. And if you struggle the way I do, my challenge is living out what the Bible teaches in terms of how I ought to live. Anybody else? Okay. Three of us. Three of us. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Three of us. The rest of you are doing a whole lot better at this than we three are. <laughs> According to the Apostle John, knowing God and obeying his commands are vigorously linked. Let me say that again. This is what John, the Apostle John is saying. This is not John the Baptist. It's the Apostle John. He's saying, uh, he's saying to know God and to obey his commands are vigorously linked, linked together. And furthermore, he adds, and you saw it just a moment ago because we all said, ouch, if we claim that we know God, but we do not follow God's commands, the teachings of Jesus, if we're not following those, but we're saying that we know God, um, and you saw what he said, that just simply means that, that, that we're a liar, that we're a liar. Now, this is sobering thought. This is sobering. And, you know, you ever read verses in the Bible, and it's like, ah, or you hear statements, and it's like, ah, and you're like, oh, and either it applies to your life personally or it applies to people that you know and love and care about. But it has been said, I want you to think about this statement. You've heard me say it probably a couple of years ago, that there are going to be scores and scores and scores of people that are going to miss heaven only by 18 inches. Scores of people. Scores and scores of people are going to miss heaven only by 18 inches. And what I mean by that is they have Jesus in their head, but they don't have Jesus in their heart. 18 inches. Going to miss heaven. Do you know God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the existence of God? Yeah, 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 yeah. But just because we know about him in our mind does not necessarily mean that he lives within our heart. When Jesus makes an announcement in Matthew chapter 7, he is not attempting when he makes it, and you're going to see it in just a moment. He's not uh, trying to manipulate. He's not trying to use scare tactics. That's not what I do either. I don't think that works. I'd rather people follow Jesus because they're so deeply in love with Jesus than just afraid of hell or, you know, afraid they're going to miss heaven. But uh, Jesus is not using fear tactics here. He's simply stating facts 
This is Matthew chapter 7, and again, it's uh, one of those uh, passages that just have a little sting about them. Uh, not all those who say that I'm their Lord, this is Jesus talking, not all those who say that I'm their Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. The only people, the only people who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do what my Father in heaven wants. Jesus didn't say the people, all right, there's going to be lots of people that are going to get into heaven because their parents were Christians. There, there's going to be lots of people that are going to get into heaven simply because um, they're Christian by default because they haven't chosen the path of another world religion. There's going to be scores of people that are going to be in heaven because basically, morally speaking, they're pretty good people. They're better than most uh, people in society. Jesus does not say any of those things. Jesus does not say that people are going to get into heaven because they believe, because they believe, because they believe. I've had multitudes of conversations with people that you just hear it, and sometimes you don't even have a chance to get into the depth of it, but people that say, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven, and well, how do you know? I believe in God. That's it. I believe in God. Jesus said, people who are going to get into heaven are those who do what my Father in heaven wants. On the last day, on the last day, many people, Jesus said, will say to me, Lord, Lord, we spoke for you. Lord, through you, we forced out demons. We did many miracles. Look at all this. This is a pretty impressive resume. Then I will have to tell them clearly, get away from me, you who do evil. I never knew you. Now, Jesus knew them because Jesus is part of the creation, but Jesus didn't know them personally because people uh, don't always, even people who believe in the existence of God, do not, do not always give Jesus room in their life. So first category would be many people who believe in God, but they do not really know God. So uh, you got to determine which of these three categories you're going to fall uh, most in line with. Second category, all right? You ready for another one? Uh, many people believe in God, but they do not know him well. They believe in God, but they do not know him well. And, and this would be, be more descriptive of somebody that at some point in their life, it's not like somebody that's never known God. It's like people who maybe even walk with God and maybe even in their life, they had an experience with God at some point in the past. Maybe some supernatural event occurred in their life. Maybe they were on the receiving end of a miracle from God. Uh, maybe it's a person that grew up in church and so they knew the songs and they knew the verses, and, and they knew the language. How many of you know the language of Christianity? A lot of us are great at it. It's called Christianese. How many of you, you're fluent in Christianese? I mean, you know how to say the right, you know the secret handshake and all of, of, all of that. This would be descriptive of somebody that was more deeply devoted to Jesus. Maybe, maybe deeply devoted to Jesus before uh, they went off to college. And then, you know, they went off to college and they got challenged in their faith or confused about their faith. Or, or maybe it's somebody that said, well, you know what? As long as my kids were young, I want to be sure that my kids were up, you know, going. As long as my kids were at home that I made sure. But, you know, that's really more passionate for me than it, than it is a reality for me, or, or maybe that is descriptive of your life. You knew him well. You had an experience with God before you got hurt or before you got offended or before you got disheartened. You may likely fall into this category if the vibrancy of your faith and your passion for Jesus is now in a past tense form, what it used to be. Your passion for Jesus, the vibrancy of your faith 
you might possibly fall into this category when you refer to that, that you have to, being true to yourself, refer to it in a past tense rather than a present fact, which is what would be a, a, a reality for you right now. Maybe you're a person, and again, I don't know you uh, completely well. A lot of you I don't. Some of you I do. But, um, and you don't know every detail about my life. But, but maybe you fall, and again, this is not throwing stones. We're just, we're talking here. We're family here. Maybe for you, you have been thoroughly informed concerning Jesus. Maybe you are thoroughly informed concerning the Word of God or the Bible, but you are not allowing yourself to be transformed by the power of God. And there's a difference. How many of you know there's a difference? There's a difference between being informed and being transformed by the power of God. Is it possible that Paul had this in mind when he writes this to a group of people that are living in a place called Galatia? Look at these verses up on the screen. A couple of verses here. When you didn't know God, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to things which are really not God's at all. But now you know God. And then he sort of says, he sort of, you know, changes the phrase, uh, phrase here. Or, or rather, God knows you. So how can you turn back again to the powerless and bankrupt principles of this world? Why do you want to become their slaves all over again? Would you take just a moment? Before we move on to the third category, would you pause right here, right now, and sincerely ask yourself, when I think about the vibrancy of my faith, when I think about my passion for Jesus and my obedience to the teachings of Jesus, and, and, and again, just being honest with yourself, do I have to, do I have to describe it with past tense terms, what used to be true of my life, or is this the present reality of your life? Think about that. Ask yourself this question. Is there anything that I find myself turning back to? Is there anything that, you know, was once a part of my life and I was, you know, I was a slave to it. Maybe you were addicted to it. Maybe it was a habit. Maybe it was a sin pattern. And you find yourself turning back to that. Is there any area of your life that you're saying, you know what, little by little, this is making me a slave again. I feel like I'm being enticed back into this. I feel like I'm being tempted to go back into this. I feel that I'm being lured back into this. I mean, this is, I think, what Paul was actually talking about. I read an article this week, and I've never read an article about this before, and I've never read an article about uh, this, even anything close to this, but here was the article. It, here's the title of it, Coyote Trapping Made Simple. Have you read an article about that lately? I had not, and you're saying, Pastor Jeff, you're having problems with coyotes? Uh, you know, not at all. But I guess what got me thinking about this is um, I was talking uh, to our son, Brent, who lives up in Illinois, he, who moved up there against the will of God because uh, he took the grandbabies with him. Um, you know, had he, you know, not had grandkids, you know, it would have been okay in the will of God, but that changed with, with the kids. But so I was talking to him and he's got this, uh, 
this chicken. I mean, a lot of you know Brent. A lot of you are friends with Brent, you know. And, and you know Brent was basically raised in the city. He's a city boy for the most, for the most part. He is a city boy. But now, I, I'm talking to him a while back, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're working on a chicken coop. He's never had a chicken coop in his life. And, and he says, uh, and, and by the way, and they built a beautiful home out, out in the country. He said, by the way, we had some flooring, some nice flooring left over. So we're using that for flooring in the chicken coop. This is a high-end chicken coop. <laughs> this is like the Ritz chicken coop. And so I was talking to him this is just this week. And, and Craig, he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having to build some traps. I said, for what? He said, coyotes. And he said, some of our chickens have been killed. And he said, I went out to the chicken coop and I saw a coyote running off. And so now I've got to build a, a trap. And, and I, I didn't, I don't know about coyote traps. I, I don't even know how to operate a mouse trap. I could go on YouTube <laughs> and figure it out, you know, watch a video and figure out how do you set it without getting your finger in. But I, a coyote, that's a whole different deal. And then I started getting concerned. My, my grandbabies raise, our grandbabies rage and age from 18 months to five years. And I'm like, I want to be sure this is going to, uh, you know, catch a coyote and not a grandbaby. And start, so I started reading a little bit about it, and it was like three steps. It was like, and this is it's like real estate. They said the important thing with coyote traps is location, location, location. Got to put it. You know, it matters if you don't put it on the side of a hill but down. And the setup and how you set it up and how you disguise it and all of that. And then it's, it's talked about the different traps. And you're trying to lure, you're trying to lure a coyote into a trap. And I got to thinking about that. And I was working, I was in the process of working on this talk. And I just said, man, isn't that so true of our lives? That there's things that is always enticing us. There are things that are always luring us in. There are things that are always tempting us. Come on, come on. You know, it's not that bad, you know, and it's disguised and it's, it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. And then once you're in the trap, it's, it's not only as bad, it's worse. You know, going into the trap is not the big deal. It just seems to make sense. And then once you're in the trap, you're like, hey, this is way worse than what I ever thought it would be. And, you know, it's just the reality of how life works. And maybe, maybe you just say, you know what? There was a time in my life when what I'm, I'm sort of trapped in right now or I'm headed toward, if I don't put on the brakes, if I don't slam on the brakes right now, I'm, I'm headed back towards something or a habit or addiction or a sin pattern that was once a part of my life. And, and again, you just don't want to go that. You don't want it to be like, you know, when I think about the vibrancy of my faith, uh, you know, my life, I, I want to live free because I know what it's like to live free. I know what it was like to live as a slave. And so you're saying I, I like, you know, living as a free person so much better, not being chained or in a trap of some sort. I, I like that. And, uh, you know, I have a passion for Jesus. You know, that's, that's the direction that you and I want to being again, not where when we define what our relationship with God is, we're talking more about what used to be than where we're at right now or where we're headed. All right, made sense? Third category. For this third and final category, and I'll say it a couple of times. These are people in all three categories. Everybody believes in God. People who believe in God but do not know God. People who believe in God but do not know God well. The third and final category is people who believe in God, who know him personally, 
and serve him with full devotion. Not perfectionism, but people who know God personally. They believe in God. They know God personally and serve him with full devotion. And this is, if I could tell you where my heart is, I so long that for me. I so long that for my family. I so long that for every single person that calls this their church home for our entire church family. I pray that this would be true in all of our lives. And you can know that you're moving. You realize that you're moving in this direction where you not only believe in God, but you know God personally and you serve him with full devotion. You know there's certain indicators. And again, I, this is not an exhaustive list because there's so many other things that I could mention. But here are just a few. You know that you're moving in this direction when you sense the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life. You feel God's comfort when you need God's comfort. You feel God's correction. It's like you're on a wrong path and I just want to get you off of that avenue and onto the path that you need to be on because if you follow this path, it's going to take you here. You follow this path, it's going to lead you there. If you follow that road, it's going to take you to the destination. And so correction, uh, you know that you're moving in this direction when you not only feel the Holy Spirit comforting you or bringing some correction to your life, but when he's convicting you about something that may be wrong in your life that you need to repent of, you need to do a 180, you need to have a change of mind, a change of heart, and move in another direction. You know that you're moving. You know that you're in this. When, you're, when you love God's word, you love God's word, and you are challenged to live out the teachings of Jesus to the best of your ability. Do you make mistakes on occasions? Absolutely. But you're passionate. You love the word of God. You love the Word of God. It doesn't mean you understand all everything that's in it, but you love the Word of God, and, and you're challenged to live it out. You know that you are moving in this direction when you're growing in love and when you're growing in compassion, authentic compassion toward other people. You know that this is a biggie. You know that you're moving in this direction when you find yourself becoming increasingly generous with your time, the time that you're willing to invest in things that are going to advance the kingdom of God, when you're, when you're willing to be generous with your talents, the abilities and talents that God has given to you, when you're, when you're generous with your treasure, the money that God has entrusted to you, the money that, that God has given, you know you're moving. When you're becoming generous with your time, your talent, and your treasures, you know you're moving in this direction when you sense promptings and leadings and whispers from God. And it's like, God, I know this is you, and, and I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability. And it's not an audible voice, but it's just because you're close to God. And, and your description of being in a relationship with God is not more past tense than present reality. And so you sense God and you're like, God, to the best of my, my ability, I discern that this is your voice. I discern that you are saying this to me. It seems to be validated in what I read in your word. I've taken it maybe to the counsel of some wiser, more seasoned Christians. And I sense that this is you, this prompting, this leading, this whispers from you. And, and again, it doesn't mean spiritually that you're there yet. It certainly does not mean that you're perfect, but it does mean that you are growing. Your relationship with God is not talked about in past term terminology. It is a present truth. And it's not that you're merely informed about the ways of God. You are gradually being transformed by the power of God. This is a huge deal. Huge deal. Man, I've wrestled with this talk and worked through it, read through it, wrote, rewrote, and, and because I just want every one of us to be saying, you know what? I want my relationship with God to be much more than just I know God I go to church, or I was raised in church. I, I pray sometimes. I've got some verses posted here and there. 
You know, I'm a pretty good person, especially when I look around at work and I see how most people live. By comparison, I'm a lot better. No, it's, it's, so, it's so much deeper and better and greater, richer than that. King David was not a perfect person. If you've ever read about his life, you know that already. And he made some huge mistakes in his life. Huge, massive. And yet because David loved God and because David longed for God, he was able to get his life spiritually back on track. It wasn't like, all right, God, I just so blew it. Here I am, you know, a great man of God, king of Israel, and all this responsibility, I blew it, and that's it, you know, one and done kind of deal. No, he so loved God, and he so longed for God that in reality, he was able to get his life back on the right track. I love this. Take a look at this. This is out of the Psalms. Look at it with me. He says, oh, God, you are my God. I mean, this is a personal description. You are my God, earnestly, earnestly, passionately, wholeheartedly. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. God, I will praise you as long as I live. As long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to praise you. And in your name, I'm going to lift up my hands. God, I'm going to worship you with my lips. I'm going to worship you with my life. And David just so loved and loved God and longed for God. It's like, I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm going to allow my life to get back on track. So where are you in all of this? What category best describes where your current relationship with God is? Are you like, hey, I, I know, I know God, but truth be told, I know him in my head. I don't know God in my heart. Or, or maybe it's like this for you. I know God, but I don't, I don't really know him well. I'm informed. I'm informed. You know, you could ask me a lot of Bible questions, and I could probably answer Perhaps a lot of them, I'm informed, but I'm not being transformed by the power of God. Or maybe, and if you're not there, if you're not there, that you would get in the category where you would say, I know him personally. I know him personally, and I'm pursuing him passionately. So where are you at in that regard? Would you stand? Everybody stand for a closing prayer. I want you to be challenged in your life the way that I've been feeling challenged. To just be all in with God, all in with God, totally and completely all in with God. Perfection, no. None of us are going to be perfect. Free of mistakes, none of us are going to be there. Only Jesus could do that. But I, I don't want for our church family for you to just know God in your mind. I shudder to think, I really do. It's like I get a chill in a negative way to think that there are people that are here a whole lot at our church, but at the end of time, on the last day, as we saw in that verse, will miss heaven by 18 inches because Jesus was in their head, but not in their heart. 
I don't want that to be true of any person here. I don't want it to be true of any person here that when they talk about their relationship with God, it's what used to be in the past. It was this is how my life was. This is what I was doing. This is how I was growing in God. No, I want it to be a current reality in your life. I don't want you to just be informed. I don't want to just be informed. I don't want to have my head filled with Bible knowledge and not be living it out. I don't want that for my life. I don't want it for my family. I don't want it for your life. And maybe you're here today and you just say, you know what, Jeff? I, I, I know God. I believe in the existence of God. I, I would fall into that, that pole. I, I would be part of the 75% that would say, I believe in God. I would be part of the, uh, the 70% that would say, I actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe those things. But Jesus is in my head. I believe in the existence of God. But I don't know him personally. I've got Jesus in my head, but I don't have Jesus in my heart. And if that's you and you want to become a Christian today, you want to come to Jesus just the way you are, warts and all, problems and all, sin and all. If you want to come to Jesus this morning, I promise you, Jesus will receive you just as you are. But you've got to come. Jesus has already walked toward you. You've got to walk now toward Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to be more than just in my head. I want to receive you into my heart. I want to know you not just as a distant deity. I want to know you as my Savior. I want to know you as my friend. I want to know you as my father. Father, I want to know you personally. I want to know you personally. And if that's you, you just, while nobody's looking around, just put your hand straight up in the air, straight up, straight up in the air, as high as you can get it. Just put it straight up in the air, as high as you can get it. All right. Wow. See a lot of you, a lot of you raise your hand. You can put your hands down now. And would you just pray this prayer in your heart and your mind? just, and it doesn't even have to be the exact words, but you just, as I'm praying, you can just pray it in your mind. You can even say, yes, Lord. Yes. God, that's me. That's where I'm at. Yes, God. Just say something like this. Jesus, I want it to be more than just in my head. I want you to be in my heart. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I, I, I don't, I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss heaven believing that you exist, but I'm willing to live my life for you. I, I don't want, when I think about spiritual things, to just think about what used to be before I went off to college. I don't want it to be what used to be when my kids were still young and at home. I don't want it to be, you know, at some point in the past, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to live my life knowing you personally. And so today, I surrender myself to you the best I know how to do. And there may be those of you today that you just say, well, I've, I've walked with Jesus vibrantly in the past. I've had a vibrant faith. I've, been, I've had a passionate love for God, but just over time, I have drifted. And I've just, you know, I once walked in freedom, but I've become a little bit of a slave again. And when I think about my life, it's not what, what is, it's what was. And I know that I need to rededicate. I need to get back on track. My mistakes may have not been, been the same as David, and my struggles may have not been the same as David, but I, I love God and I long for God, and I want to get back on track. And if that's you, you just, you recommit, you re-up, you just sign back up to say, God, that's what I want in my life. And God says he receives us. None of us want to be a Christian atheist. We don't want to just believe in God, but live as though God does not exist. So God, make that a reality for all of us today. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. 
We're going to build on this next week, and I hope every one of you will be back next week and bring somebody with you. Can we give Jesus a big hand clap of praise before we're done today? I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you next Sunday. Don't forget the book.